We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Fay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And this episode is brought to you by Untucket. But, Jack, back-to-back wins. A Nets blowout. It's always fun. It was a very relaxing game, and that's not something you've been able to say all season long. It seems like every game, blowout or loss or whatever it may be, it's felt like just so much emotion and nervousness and just your heart rate is up. But this one was relaxing in a sense. Yeah, the Nets controlled from start to finish. Obviously, there was only a three-point lead in that first quarter, but the Nets weren't really hitting the three ball. But when the three ball started to go down, you know, they really extended that lead. Uh, I think when Bogdanovich, we talked about it before we jumped on, Nick, as soon as he was announced as being out, you had a little more confidence, obviously, with the Nets. You know, you don't want to, you know, uh, count your, your chickens before the... I don't know the... What's the analogy? <laughs> count your chicken, your eggs before the... Before the hatch. <laughs> that's the one whatever i'm not good with analogies especially when i'm buzzing off a win but i i think with that you know you only really need to worry about a, a buddy healing this sort of matchup you know the offensive talent that the sacramento kings had isn't necessarily you know that high but the nets have struggled of late as well so it's not necessarily to say uh, that we've been doing anything that amazing it was good to bring some momentum from the hornets game into this one and it was a similar sort of matchup i think that there was a little more polish in this one though yeah, there was definitely more polish in terms of the Nets side. And I think Sacramento is maybe one of the te- only teams in the league that are more injured than the Nets, you know, them and Golden State. But before we get any deeper, just a quick reminder, you can subscribe and review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. You also can find us on otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com. But, Jack, what do you think was the biggest improvement from tonight's game compared to the Charlotte game? Which was a win, but this one, like you mentioned, was way more polished. Yeah, I think that the execution on both ends of the floor was uh, a lot more fluid, Nick. Uh, I think that in terms of the offensive sets, the ball was moving well, the three ball was hitting, 
Uh, and I think the defensive engagement was quite good too. I'm not saying that the defense was perfect, but, you know, I think that there was more activity, uh, better communication on that end. You know, seeing, you know, DeAndre Jordan switching onto guys, and I, he wasn't amazing. I think there was probably one possession where he was really good and another one where he gave up the foul. But I think that in terms of the, the motivation, it seemed at least to have some momentum. And obviously with Kyrie Irving, Carol Severt out, you know, the, the guys, this team right now, as it is in its current iteration, is starting to find some chemistry, despite the fact that everyone else who is outside the, uh, the Nets sort of fandom doesn't believe so. Yeah, you definitely can see some chemistry. And then one guy who's actually, I think, has provided positive chemistry has been Amon Schumper, but we'll talk about him more later. You mentioned the execution. The Nets won every quarter tonight. They won the first quarter, the second quarter, third quarter, fourth. Definitely their most complete performance. And defensively, I think, like you said, the effort was improved. The communication was better. But then also, you know, we're going against the Sacramento Kings who are missing a lot of their offensive players, and they shot a terrible percentage from three. But again, I think the Nets are improving that area. There's still plenty of little things they can clean up. But to see the improvement over over the course of the last two weeks, I think it's significant. Yeah, I thought the Nets actually forced them into bad shots. And took. And I think it's it's well known around just the general NBA that the Nets force mid-rangers and they don't like to give up three-pointers. It's just how they defend. It's part of their defensive ethos. And a lot of the times it comes back to bite us. You know, you look at the Indiana Pacers game twice. You give wide-open shots in the mid-range to good NBA players, average to above NBA players, they're going to hit that shot. Whereas tonight, the, the Kings just lack the offensive talent. So uh, I think it worked well for us tonight. And I thought we played good. Good sound uh, basketball on both ends of the floor. Again, against a, a lackluster team in the Sacramento Kings, but you know they're in a similar boat to us. You know, certainly banged up and and looking to fight and solidify themselves in a in a pretty tight playoff race in the Western Conference too. So the Nets did what they had to do, and I mean, if you're looking at the for a statistical you know point to sort of go to, all the guys who played um, regular rotation minutes, you know, anything above you know junk time, you know, where Claxton and Ellenson and Nawab were out there, were positive in the plus-minus. Every single player who had, you know, 15 minutes or more from DeAndre Jordan all the way up to Garrett Temple, who played 35 minutes. Yeah, not many players stuck out of having a bad game. Just to touch on the defense, the one thing that they had to do was kind of con uh, contain Buddy Heald, and they did an excellent job of doing that. But, Jack, do you want to kind of dive into the players? Yeah, I think it's worth doing it, Nick. I mean, we could start just generally with the starters. One guy I was really impressed with, obviously, Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I put out the start of the game. He is just in a flow right now. And he, I think it was his fourth game in a row. He's had 20 points or more, yep. uh, the, the most of his career. I mean, that's saying something. When he was, you know, leading the team in, in many instances a couple of seasons ago, he is just flowing with the basketball right now. In terms of when to make the passes, when to take the shots, when to drive, he's defending well. Obviously, four turnovers isn't amazing, but I don't think those four turnovers were horrible. He's hitting his free throws as well, 7-7 seven seven from the line. He's continuing to play really good balanced basketball. Yeah, he's just very in control, and he's even playing well on the defensive end. He just has taken that next step in his game and to score 23 points, seven assists, and shoot eight of 15 from the field when you miss all five of your threes, yeah. that's a really nice game. And also the two steals. I just think Spencer's locked in right now, very engaged. And like you said, he's just in rhythm and sync with what the Nets need him to do and especially the Nets offense. Yeah, I think that you said on the last episode where when Spencer, Jared, and Joe Harris are out there, it just seems like there is a, a different energy and a different chemistry compared to some other guys in the rotation. Those guys just know how to feed off each other. They've been around for quite a while, and obviously there just is a, an element that we just don't see with, with some of the other players on this roster. But you know, Joe Harris, you know, lighting up in that second quarter. 
that boost from Joe and knocking down those consecutive threes, that just kind of gave the Nets some major momentum in this one. It's weird. Like, uh, I'm, the past sort of couple of games, we were all like, oh, Joe, Joe Harris, he's, he's in a bit of a shooting slump. Just, guys, come on. It's Joe Harris. Let's just – let's all realize the greatness of this bearded, beautiful man and that he's going to be fine. Five of seven, his probably percentage is shot right back up, right near 50% from the, the, the perimeter. He When he has a slump, we – I mean, because, again, it relates to some of the other players that we're talking about when we get to Jared Allen as well. We have such lofty expectations from the best shooter in the league going by last season statistics. When he goes in through some minor slump, it's, you know, the, the world is ending. But he, he was awesome tonight. And I, I like some different offensive sets as well. He, obviously, the, the three ball was certainly on. But, you know, DeAndre Jordan passes him as a cutter. I love seeing Joe Harris cutting. And, you know, he's improved his passing game too, even though he did only have one assist tonight. It just seemed like there was, you know, the, the offense was in motion. And Joe Harris obviously was just really, really important. And is always just so damn important to this Brooklyn Nets team. And it kind of showed, like, if you make a mistake on Joe, you're going to pay. And the, the Kings made mistakes, and they allowed him to get those open threes. And as soon as he gets hot, and you mentioned the cutting, and then you start to overplay him at that three-point line, now he's a step ahead of you cutting to the rim. You just got to find him. Yeah, and it opens things up for other players. I know Nolan yep. Jensen put on Twitter where it's like, if Joe is coming off a curl and then, you know, Jarrett might choose to, to roll to the rim, who are you going to go for there? And because Jared Allen has been quite dangerous now in terms of his pick and roll action, the offensive fouls have, are still there to a very, very minor extent in comparison to what we saw against Phoenix. So, And I saw you know, him speaking to the refs. I know Kenny was speaking to the refs before the game as well. I, I remember a, a tweet, I think it was from James Herbert or, or someone, where it's like, Jared, we need you to be more, uh, more consistent for us. And he's like, okay, coach. And he has been. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, it's such a Jared Allen answer. And, um, I mean, we can get to him. He was great tonight too. Even though he, he was just, again, really effective. Yeah, he was really effective. And just to touch on the synergy, like uh, you mentioned, Nolan said, there's an exact play in this game where they kind of overcommit to Joe. Joe throws the ball right to Jared, easy dunk in the lane. And that's just something, Jared having that vertical spacing and Joe having that three-point spacing, it just provides so much for the Nets offense. But getting to Jared's game, it wasn't anything crazy, but he did his job. You know, he made the shots he needed to make, made the right rotations defensively, and another solid game on the boards. Nine rebounds in 25 minutes isn't bad. Yeah, and... In in that sort of sense, five or six from the field, hit a free throw, you know, he had, had a signature sort of block, had a steal, had a dime. Uh, when he gets caught in the paint these days, I'm a lot more comfortable comfortable with him kicking out when the defense closes on him. Obviously, he may not be able to finish through those guys just yet, but I like him kicking the ball out. I'm comfortable with the more comfortable with the ball in his hands, which is something that I probably wouldn't have said at the start of the season and, and towards the end of last year and you know at other portions of his career. But you know he was really good, really effective. And uh, I put out a, a tweet where I think everyone's seen the jacked up muscle guy who just like walks into like a restaurant and I'm like Jared Allen these days when. when <laughs> of how he's playing his basketball. He's playing a lot more physical and a lot more confident. I think that both of those things are related. And you touched on the rebounding, Nick. I'm really, really impressed with that, that facet of his game. And I mean, it is the core to any big man in terms of, you know, you have to be a good rebounder just to have an effect. You know, I think it goes to the wayside a little bit. You know, defensive rebounds and the possession. And at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's an incredibly important part of the game. It goes, you know, underrated somewhat. I mean, it can be inflated with guys like DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond. These guys who sort of hunt their, their stats in that sort of regard. But Jared Allen has improved markedly in that area. Just from a, an aesthetic standpoint too. 
Yeah, he attacks the boards a little bit more instead of just yeah. kind of waiting for the rebound to come to him, especially on the defensive boards. And you mentioned the confidence and some of the, maybe that added aggression slash muscle offensively. Even though he only had one offensive boards, you just saw him down there and be active. He had his hands on a couple balls, and that's what you like to see from your seven-footer that's athletic. Yeah, definitely. Garrett Temple, Nick, I think we spoke about him a little Best bit. Best game of an, as a net probably. Yeah, I mean, we've we've sort of said that, you know, there's going to be up and down moments to him. And I think I said that I, I was quite confident in the fact that this guy is a vet. He knows how to play good basketball. And tonight, you know, he led the team in minutes, 35 minutes, was hitting the three ball. Again, I've always said I'm really comfortable in terms of the mechanics of his three. If he's missing it and he has a bad night, I don't necessarily care. He put up four of nine from the area. He took the most and, you know, led the team in minutes, was plus 16, 18 points, Four assists, a couple of steals as well, was rebounding the ball. Yeah, a really good game for Garrett Temple. I really liked his defense on Buddy Heald too. Just yeah. making his life really difficult, going around screens, just putting that extra pressure on him. And I feel like Garrett Temple so far this season, it's been like he's either going to knock down a couple threes in the game or he's going to miss all of his threes. And tonight he knocked down four of nine, like you mentioned. He also had some nice cuts to the lane and some yeah. nice drives himself where he just – he wasn't overdoing it. We're in the last couple of games. Some of it's been on him, but some of it's just been on the Nets asking him to do too much where he's ISOed. He's taking the right opportunities to attack in this game. Yeah, I think he's looked better in, in I think Kenny's putting him in some really good lineups. Whenever he's with Spencer as sort of a backup sort of guy who can do things occasionally and not force it. And I think because Theo played a lot better and we'll get to him and some of the bench guys and, and Musa played pretty well also. I think all the guys played well tonight. It allows Temple to play a supercharged role player game, which is what he is. And it's pretty, and I mean, we're going to speak about the fact that it, this season doesn't necessarily matter to the greatest extent. But these guys are proving right now if they want to be rotation players, they're making their claims for when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are healthy, Carol Severt's healthy, and the Nets have their true aspirations. Garrett Temple is certainly going to be a part of that. Yeah, and there's some other guy who I think deserves some more minutes moving forward. But talking about the one starter where I think probably didn't have a great game, and that was Torian Prince. He was just in a little bit of a funk. You know, I think all of his points came in the second half, and those four turnovers really stuck out. Yeah, I mean, I, I was chatting a little bit to um, some guys on Twitter about his defense as well. I, I think I'm a little bit higher on it than some people, but I do see where he does have just mental lapses, which yep. sh shouldn't be happening in terms of just being able to make the right switches and stuff. And he just has these brain farts, as I sort of like to call them. And I think offensively, when the three ball is falling, I, I, I think at the, the end of the day, he is going to be best when we are at our, our, our force because he's just going to be a guy who can just hit the three ball, make a play here and there. His drives don't fill me with the greatest confidence because a lot of the time he's always necessarily looking to put up a shot, be it a, a mid-range jumper, be it a, a pull-up three, be it a drive. He doesn't look confident dishing the ball out or, or dishing it down, down low. But then again, you know, in previous games we have spoken about, I think it might have even been the Charlotte game where he did have four assists. So he can do it. I just don't think he does it enough. And to have four turnovers, you know, if you're not Spencer Dewey, Pari Irving, Karasavert, it's it's just not good enough. Yeah, especially I think two of them were travels. He did have one really nice pass to Musa on a fast break in this game, but he'll he'll be best in his role as that 3 and D guy. And I agree. I think a lot of the defensive mistakes we're seeing are just mental. You know, it's physically he's been pretty much fine. The only thing offensively I'd like to see is every time he drives to the rim, he tries to like Euro step. You're a big dude. Like go aggressive and try to throw it down sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that he he's still figuring out like obviously he's 
has such a, a greater role in Brooklyn than he did uh, with Atlanta right now. And I think for the most part, you know, Torian Prince has been a positive for this Brooklyn Nets team. We yep. don't have a power forward right now, you know, on the roster, really. You know, we've got a, a Claxton who can kind of play there, play some minutes there. And then, you know, Jana Musa is, you know, sneaky tall, as everyone seems to speak about at 6'9 as well. But he's being asked to probably do too much just with what he his given talents are. But I still think he is an important part of this Brooklyn Nets roster, especially with what he can do from the perimeter and how important he can be as an offensive player. He still needs to improve at the end of the day. But at this point in time, you know, we don't expect him to be a finished product. Come the end of the season, if these lapses are still happening, I think we'll be a lot harsher on him. Yeah, I think you just want to see him find consistency because we've seen such great games from him. When you see one of these below average games, you're like, okay, can you step it up? But talking about bench players, one guy who I really like, uh, Iman Shumpert. Like, I think he's bringing good energy and some good defensive energy too. Seven rebounds for a guy like him, including three offensive, Nick. I think he's starting to work his way into knowing what his role is. We talked about yeah. a little bit on Charlotte. He was jacking the ball a little bit too much. Whereas I think he's doing focusing a lot more on energy plays tonight. Getting offensive boards, you know, sneakily getting some steals here and there. Really, really liked his game. And, you know, he wants that roster spot. And, and he's certainly proving it, you know. Eight points and assists and seven rebounds uh, and a steal in 25 minutes. Three of six from the field, hit a three ball. Obviously, I think if he can hit that three ball at an acceptable rate, you know, 33 to, you know, 38, well, 33 above, 33% above, I think that's going to make him a really important rotation piece. And he'll certainly, I think, can earn a roster spot above guys like, you know, maybe David Nwaba, Rodion Skorutz, these guys who are outside the rotation. Um, but I thought he was really good tonight. Um, I, I, I really echo those sentiments that you made. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd say negative was he had a couple mental lapses where he got beat on backdoor cuts. Yes, but he, yeah. But essentially, he's providing the role that I think the Nets expected David Nwaba to play during the season. Yeah, I think that Aman Shumpert has that sort of veteran know-how, that savviness that Nwaba doesn't have. And I think with the experience, you know, provides him a knowledge of what to do and when to do it. And there's times where you get... You know, obviously you have that experience where you want to do more and you feel like you can do more, whereas Nawaba just provides just instant energy, whereas I think Shumpert has a little more talent. And it's not yep. to say he has an extreme uh, uh, amount more than, than a David Nawaba, but I feel more comfortable with the ball in his hands, initiating the offense here and there, you know, dishing the ball a little bit, uh, whereas Nawaba doesn't necessarily have that in his skill set. And it, it's it's... I, th I think we could probably compare David Nwaba to like a Trevion sort of Graham type in, in, in what we have. Whereas I think Shumpert is providing a veteran presence that we sort of have lacked a little bit, you know, in Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley sort of providing that for us. Shumpert is providing that for us. And I think I like seeing him out there. I, I think he, he just provides a, an element of stability. And, and that's not necessarily, I think that's something that the Nets have needed. Yeah, especially with these injuries, like before having Shumpert out there, there's just so many young guys that aren't comfortable with the ball. They're improving, you know, guys like Musa and Pinson, but Shumpert, like you mentioned, with that experience he has in the league, you just feel a little bit more comfortable, and it feels like the guys on the floor just feel more comfortable knowing they have a little bit of stability. But talking about another bench guy who I thought had a nice night was DeAndre Jordan. The Nets even ran the offense through him a couple times. I like when the ball's in DeAndre's hands at the elbow. He is yep. an amazing passer to those guys off the cut. And I'm, I literally wrote the, the time signature when those went down because I, I need to tweet them out because they're so fun. And I remember doing uh, a preseason breakdown of his 
and just looking at some of his his passes when he was in Dallas and New York, it's a real strength of his. And I think you can, you know, when the ball is in his hands, he's comfortable. You know, obviously he doesn't have an amazing dribble. He's not going to, you know, take you off to, to the rim. But he literally, I remember the play in the game probably that you're speaking about, Nick. He did a couple of times, but he's literally like waiting for the guy. He's like calling I don't remember if it was Shumpert or Pinson, or is it, he's literally like cut. He's like cut. He's like n- n- like motioning with his head. We're not on a video podcast right now, but I am doing the literal <laughs> head motion that he is doing. And he's like, and he even though he is showing and telling the defense, the, the defenders, and and Sacramento what he's going to do, he still nails the pass. Yeah, no, it's really true, and I think he does a great job of using his body. And then if you're the center, you're bringing out the other center out of the paint, and there's no protection. You're going against a team like Sacramento who elected to play some smaller lineups with Yogi Ferrell out there, so the Nets capitalize on that. But, Jack, just before we continue anymore, quick word about Untucket. The holidays are almost here, and you know what that means, gifts. And what better gift to give a guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, Untucket shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untucket shirts always fall at just the right length, no matter his size, so he looks casual and sharp. Being 6'3 myself, finding shirts that actually fit is pretty tough, but Untucket makes it easy with over 50 plus combination of shirts that look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages, not to mention a great selection of different materials and styles. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untucket is the way to go. Visit Untucket.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's Untucket.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off checkout. But Jack, what did you think about the game from Theo Pinson and John Musa? I really liked Theo's. I mean, it was funny. It seems to happen a lot with you, Nick, whenever we chat in the DMs during the game where it's like, oh man, I hate this game from, from Theo Pinson right now. And then he has just like these two highlight plays. I remember he heard tweeting me. at he, he's heard, like I think he just must like he have like some burner accounts where he just or he's he's he has someone who works with the NSA or something. But <laughs> um, I remember tweeting out um, I'm like when he had that lefty Euro step finish, I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, all right, Theo, you do that. And then my brother's just like, shut up, Jack. Uh, <laughs> but he, he had some nice little highlights tonight. And, and I think that he looked a lot more confident. And yep. I think when it comes to role players, you know, you need to have that confident feel, whether, you know, you hit that first shot or whether, you know, a player's run for you or whether, you know, the you have like a, a limited amount of turnovers. He only had one turnover tonight, despite playing some significant game time in 25 minutes. Yeah, he had, was 3-11 from the field and he might have probably put the ball up a little bit too much, but he looked confident and he looked comfortable out there. It's not to say that he is going to be earning regular rotation minutes. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. But in terms of what he's bringing for us with the injuries that we have currently, if this is what he can bring us on a night-to-night basis, I'll be more than happy with that. You just want to continue to see him progress as being maybe that third point guard or that emergency backup point guard. And tonight he took a stride to that, like you mentioned. I almost messaged you and I said he was sucking because he was bad. Like he was bad the first couple possessions. But next thing you know, he turned it around. He looked more comfortable with the ball and he looked more comfortable attacking the rim. I don't know. Maybe that was the competition, the lack of defense from Sacramento. But it's something he can build on. You also just want to see him get improved. You know, obviously he missed a couple layups in this game and missed all of his threes. But if he can get improved his shot making, continue to get more comfortable, I think the Nets will feel better about dealing with injury than maybe they did during this stretch. Well, we essentially don't even know when this stretch is going to end too. Yeah, exactly. In that sense, it's weird. I feel more comfortable. This is just a purely subjective thing. I feel more comfortable with Theo Pinson shooting the three ball than Janan Musa. What do you think? I feel like Janan Musa is like, 
from game to game. Like you could tell if yeah, he's going to make yeah. his threes in that game. And then if he's not, and like we mentioned, I think on the last show, his three point shot has not looked great. And you brought up the point of it. It almost looks different every time he shoots, depending on the position he is on the court. And I think Musa switching over to him, he rushed a couple shots and his two threes tonight were super deep, especially for a guy who's not been on fire. Yeah. And it's funny in, in saying that Nick, because sometimes you look, more and not to say that they're good shots but sometimes he looks more comfortable from deeper because his shot is has a, a push sort of element mm -hmm. to it so a lot of the times the the shots that he does have are long so when he is doing those sort of deeper threes you know that are an extra two or three feet it looks like he's more comfortable from there in this weird sort of way like a, a Lillard or a Trey Young that's he's nowhere near in that in that sort of realm you know I I thought that his game tonight he did have a, a couple of extra free throws you know, I like the energy and occasional offensive boards where he's a little bit sneaky. In terms of what Rodion's courts, you know, used to provide occasionally in terms of, you know, six rebounds, you know, you know, and two offensive boards as well, um, I thought was really good from him. And, you know, 10 points as well. I think a lot of those came from the line six of eight from there. You know, it wasn't a perfect game. It was certainly up and down from him. But, you know, against a, a competition where, you know, you're going against, you know, Yogi Ferrell and Justin James, you know, I think Musa is as good, if not better than those guys. And I think he proved it tonight against, you know, better competition, the same with Theo Pinson. These guys will probably get found out a lot more. Yeah, I think for Musa too, you're seeing more of the confidence get there because attacking the lane, he looked better tonight. I think Charlotte also did a better job, but Musa looked more confident. He got to the free throw line. And I think one thing he needs to learn to develop is kind of how to draw free throws. In Charlotte, you know, getting back to that game, he went to attack the rim multiple times and just got bodied up because he went straight up against a guy who was performing verticality. Now you need to kind of show the ball, get their hands moving, and then go up for the lap. And then if they make contact, you're going to get the call. Being a guy who's just not physically strong enough, trying to body up a center who has 50 pounds on you, the ref's not going to give you the call. So you have to kind of learn how to draw free throws. And I think he's starting to do that. Yeah, definitely. Nick, was there anything else you wanted to touch on this game before we get to you know a little bit of news? Um, nothing really much. I mean, I was really happy with the performance and just the overall relaxing feel of a Nets win that I don't think we've experienced this season. Hopefully they can continue to build off this. Obviously they have the Knicks on Sunday and then they'll have the Cavs after that. Both winnable games, but obviously we'd like to see, you know, Kyrie back in one of those. Yeah, I think that these last two performances, given a team like the Nets in their current iteration with all the injuries they're having, you know, good confidence going forward into two incredibly, I guess, important and just big winnable games, you know, to, to really sort of solidify their ledger, you know, in the Eastern Conference, because there are teams that are having injuries as well. You know, a team just under us in the Orlando Magic with Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon now. It's important that we continue to win games, bank these wins, because despite the fact that we are going up against the Knicks, they've been a bit feisty of late. The Cavs play some good basketball as well. You know, no win is given uh, in this league right now unless it's, you know, the Golden State Warriors. But, you know, in that sort of <laughs> sense, I think that the, the I'm, I'm comfortable with how things are going. You know, I think that in terms of if, if spent as long as Spencer Dimwitty is out there, I don't know. I just feel at ease somewhat. It's almost like I take on his cool, calm sort of demeanor. Yeah, and it's also great tonight. He got some extra rest moving into those games where maybe yeah. you, if you have to, yeah. you can play him some extra minutes. It's going to be a back to back, and you know the Nets are conservative, but Spencer's a young guy. Definitely. But Jack, what do you think of the New Jerseys that just dropped? I, I mean, everyone hates on the fact that it's Bed-Stuy, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's probably, it's 
almost like I don't have the right to comment on them in, in that sort of sense because I'm not a Brooklyn native. You know, I've become a fan. Of, you know, I've spent plenty of time there in terms of, you know, on my travel adventures. But, you know, I would have preferred to see, like a lot of people, to see Nets on it because it's very rare that we actually see the Brooklyn Nets have Nets on a jersey. You know, even on the, the current old school graffiti style ones, it's BKN. So, I mean, other than that, though, you know, the it's cool to see the Cougar trimming still there. Aesthetically, they're, they're a cool-looking jersey. You know, I, pre I prefer the black than the white. But overall, you know, I'm not as down on it as some people are. But maybe we need to get Flatbush and Atlantic, you know, uh, the line to, to the Nets merchandising team because uh, that guy knows how to do some things when it comes to Brooklyn Nets merch. Yeah, I kind of like you here. I don't have a huge opinion on them. I think, you know, with the gray jerseys, at first I didn't like them, but they've grown on me, especially watching the players use them on the court. I'm thinking the same thing with these new Kogi jerseys. And I think, like, the Nets' motive in marketing is they're trying to take over Brooklyn, like take over that borough, get a real gotcha. connection there, and then move across to maybe more of New York City or more of just, like, the general appeal. But they feel that they need to do a better job of connecting with Brooklyn itself so they can draw those fans in and really have, you know, some ties. I like that. I like that sort of analysis. I didn't necessarily think of it that way. <laughs> Maybe I went too deep, but that's just No, kinda... I like it, man. <laughs> that's like the it. feel that I've been getting from just all the, like you said, not, you know, featuring Nets, but featuring Brooklyn. And it just feels like a lot of, like, trying to build that community tie, which I think is important for building a home crowd and kind of giving yourself that major home court advantage that the Nets just don't have yet. Yeah, and our crowd numbers have been better. You know, they're still not not amazing i think the last time i sort of saw it was 21st and we've been last consistently obviously when you have Kyrie irving in there that certainly gives you a little bit of boost but i guess we'll get to some Kyrie irving news nick and kevin o'connor was speaking on the pod and i put this tweet out where he was sort of saying that you know the nets lack chemistry right now they don't look good and all this and then there's Stephen a smith as well what are your thoughts on for me, th these lazy narratives that keep coming out from these general NBA guys and Kevin O'Connor, a Boston Celtics guy. Yeah, I'm just not really sure where it's coming from and like what it's about. It's not like we're 30 games in the season, the Nets are 10 games under 500, and Kyrie's fighting with his teammates every night. Like he's missed the last couple games anyway, so I think it's funny that these narratives come out like you know the last few days, and essentially he hasn't even been playing. It's funny. I think Brian Lewis tweeted after the game. People are like, "Oh, Kyrie wasn't there. Kyrie was just getting treatment in the back," and then he came out after the game and hugged. Kenny Atkinson. So I think everything yeah. is fine. Like, I don't think there's a real issue. Yeah, maybe on the court there's a little bit of chemistry issue in terms of guys getting in sync and adjusting to playing with a guy like Kyrie and the other guys adjusting too. Like we mentioned, you know, Spence, Harris, and Allen all have a great synergy because they all played together last year. They have a lot of games. A lot of these other players have never played with Kyrie, and if they have, it's only been for whatever amount of games they've played this season. So I think that chemistry will come off the court. Everything looks fine, at least from the bench and the perspective we have. We're not in the locker room. We're not in practice. From But from our take, I feel fine. And I trust the opinions of Brian Lewis, us, Anthony Puccio, all those guys who are in there a lot more than guys like Stephen A. Smith and, and Kevin O'Connor. You know, this, the quote directly from him, because I was listening to it this morning, he said, it's really remarkable how now Kyrie has gone to a new place in Brooklyn and it's already weird there. Chemistry is not what it was before. It is dumb to base it off just chemistry. It is correct, like a lot of people when I put that tweet out and like you've said, there is chemistry issues on the court a lot of the time defensively and, and figuring things out because there are eight new guys on this roster that are playing regular rotation minutes. That is a fact. 
what isn't a fact is these stupid takes, stupid opinions that are almost baseless and based off like just because it fits their own narrative and it and it fits what they want to project on the to to project onto what a a, a player who has a certain personality type that fits what they believe and and it makes them sort of sound better and sound more rational but it's it's not it makes them only sound more irrational I mean Stephen A Smith was talking about Kyrie being moody I'm going to speak about it on it and go on a bit more of a rant on JBT than I am <laughs> now it is it it really pisses me off that we still talk about people's moods and it is it, it is stupid to the nth degree to just go he's moody and I'm like okay what are you what are you basing this off like are you speaking to Kyrie himself are you speaking to guys behind the scenes are you speaking to Kevin Durant because to speak about a player's mood and personality is lazy and we saw Jared Allen you know do his AMA with Bleacher Report and completely put it to bed. I'm going to go with Jared Allen, a guy who spends near 24-7 with the player, and then Stephen A. Smith, a guy who you know barely has takes that are correct, and I, I believe said 95% that Kyrie Irving would be going to the New York Knicks, and is also a Knicks fan himself. So, uh, rant, rant over, rant over. Well, and also, I, yeah, I find it found it interesting. Wasn't it Stephen A. Smith like a few weeks ago when the Jackie Mack piece came out? defending Kyrie and then all of a sudden a few weeks later he completely changes his tune like I just don't get that and Kevin O'Connor like I respect him he's a great NBA writer and podcaster but obviously he has major ties to Boston and he doesn't I don't think have a connection to the Nets locker room where he's had really has deep information he hasn't broke anything about Brooklyn in the last couple years so I feel like it's just speculation maybe from outside sources or like the tiniest thing he said, he said, she said, whatever it may be. I'm not concerned. You know, obviously there's always a possibility of that happening, but right now it's at the bottom of my list. It it's, I think it's more frustrating because uh, I think that there is, it takes away from genuine analysis of what is going wrong in Brooklyn a lot of the time. And there are really good writers you know, be it through Nets Daily, through Nets Republic, and a lot of other, you know, platforms and specific writers that analyze what is actually wrong with this team. You know, I know Dan Devine does some good pieces from The Ringer too, and he is, you know, a New York sort of native and speaking about what is wrong on the court. And yes, I, I wonder like how much like a mood affects, you know, a team overall because, you know, there was teams like Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, which would have been the most combustible teams in the history of the game. Teams with Michael Jordan, you know, punching Steve Kerr in the face and vice versa. If that was in 2019, and now we're talking about a guy who is quote-unquote moody, and it, it really frustrates me as well because I think it's it's almost an attack on his character. And I yeah. get Kyrie Irving isn't, you know, the the most sound and, and you know, um, intelligent. Or I'm, I'm not trying to demean him in any sort of way he's just not a, a a sort of normal guy in that sense but i think normal normal is overrated you know i think that Kyrie irving in terms of he feels a, a comfort level right now in brooklyn that i really resonate with and you know, he always speaks about being home him and katie on the bench you know doing some funny doing their theo dances and you know having some fun reactions yandre doing having some fun with the, the handshakes as well it's if you are actually watching this team, you would see that there aren't chemistry issues off the court. If you are making that call, it only speaks to your ignorance. Yeah, no, I agree, Jack, especially because like you mentioned, there's so many issues happening on the court where if the Nets played average defense and 
probably half of their losses, we'd be talking about a winning record and them being yeah. at the top of the Eastern Conference. And then all of a sudden, oh, Kyrie's so great. I guess all the issues were in Boston. Like, yeah. so it's just, it's yeah. a narrative. And that's what's going to happen. We have star players now. We're no longer this, you know, feel good about team. There's expectations. So people are going to make up stories, especially when the team isn't performing up to the level we expect. You know, seven and eight, it's not what we wanted to see at this point, but obviously it's a very new team and there's plenty of time left for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with, with where this team is at. If we were ten and five, I mean, we'd be absolutely ecstatic. But you know, we are where we are, and and you know, I think that sometimes wins can inflate where your team really is at. And I think True. that you know, when you do lose, you are forced to analyze what your misgivings are. And I think that that has happened of late. Our defense has been better. But one final thing, Nick, uh, one of my favorite analysts, and I am literally doing like a, 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 as sarcastic a voice as I can with this. Paul Pierce apparently thinks that <laughs> they are going to be the biggest boos in league history when Kyrie goes back to Boston and they are deserved. What are your thoughts on um, Paul Pierce? Is he telling the truth? I actually think Pierce might be right in the sense that it's going to be some of the loudest boos we've heard, but I don't think they're deserved. I think it's also just the narrative that's been created by the Celtics, the Boston media, just kind of pushing everything onto Kyrie. So I think there's going to be a lot of boos. I'm not even sure if he's going to play the game, but if he does, I feel I could see him going off. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's made for Kyrie revenge game, absolute dominant. But we'll speak about that obviously in coming episodes and i think that the narrative like in terms of he deserves them he deserves them somewhat because of like yeah he said that he was going to stay he's like i think paul piss is like well no one has ever said they're going to stay and then left i'm just like people do so, every year <laughs> like i think like kevin durant and like you know there's a lot of players and like i don't think who cares like it's i i get that as rational as irrational fans we buy into everything and we have so much emotions and ties to this guy but I think the Boston Celtics are going that well anyway. The fact that Kyrie Irving is still like, they're tweeting out that he's old commercials with his dad and stuff. I think that the fact that they are doing that, it takes away from how impressive they have been in a lot of different ways. And I think that good writers like guys like Cam, guys like Justin that are at OGGBasketball.com and doing some other things for different sites too, recognize and write about and, and focus on the narratives that do matter within the Boston Celtics. Whereas there's all these, you know, Kyrie trolls and everything that will just get up in the mentions because, you know, and, you know, it's rent free. It's like Knicks fans when it comes to Nets fans and it's talking about attendance or whatever. But there are plenty, despite the fact that there are a lot of, you know, irrational fans and irrational people on social media, there are still, I still think, and I believe and I look towards and I mute obviously the ones that aren't, I look to the people that provide good analysis of their own team and are truthful and will provide credence and, and honesty to other teams as well. You know, I like to think that I do it for the most part, but I'm also a Brooklyn Nets fan and I really get passionate about this team at the same time. Yeah, no, 100%. And like you said, it's not all Boston fans are bad. Same thing for Knicks fans. Not all are bad. It's just, you know, some of them get a little bit crazy. They get a little bit salty. But Jack, that wraps it up. Hopefully next time we're back on, we're talking about another W. Big thanks as always for everybody checking in. Make sure you subscribe, review iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and also on otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 